welcome to another episode of Parminio. Back to OKRs again, and we're going to be reviewing John Doors, the legendary John Doors, five superpowers of OKRs. We're going to review what he talks about as the five superpowers and do an evaluation and add a few more things onto it. Okay, so before we get into it, we've done another podcast prior on OKRs, and we talked about a few things on that podcast. I'm just going to review them uh, real quickly. First of all, we defined what OKRs were. We talked about objectives and key results, and we basically said that objectives are short, inspirationally worded goals that are associated with the direction the organization is moving towards that vision, towards that future state. Um, KR's key results are measurable outcome-based um, objective elements, right? So if I say I'm going to implement two test programs next quarter, that is not a sufficient um, key result. A key result is an outcome. It is an activity-based result. Um, that results from task and actions being completed. So if I say we're going to implement two test programs and raise income by 5% as a result of that, that would be an outcome-based result. All right, and many people kind of get those things backwards, but task and actions are not key results. Key results are outcomes from tasks and actions that are associated with a goal or an objective. So that's the definition of OKRs. We also talked about um, cadence and how cadence is associated with OKRs. And typically, not all the time, but cadence usually refers to annual goals set at the strategic level of the organization. So this is a strategic top-down kind of goals that are set by the organization, the objectives, then tactical um, tend to be set quarterly. Of course, when the quarterly tactical goals are set, they all support the annual strategic goals. That's how we get alignment, right? Um, we also talked about goal setting and people talk about John Doerr and he's known for talking about stretch goals and moonshots and things like that. And some people take that um, to be gospel, that if you do OKRs, they are stretch goals. Uh, and that is not the case. We're going to get into uh, some more research on that and talk about what that looks like and why. Um, and we also talked about implementation and how implementation works. We're going to get into a little bit about what John Doris says about implementation. And then we also talked about key salient points when implementing OKRs. And I'm going to walk through them real quickly. That's that they have transparency. They are aligned up and down and crossways horizontally through the organization. Everybody can see them. My OKRs work to support the top level annual strategic OKRs of the organization and they're in harmony with other groups and departments within our organization in terms of supporting each other. We have an owner assigned to every OKR. Somebody must be assigned to it. That is the name of a person. It could be a project team. It is somebody. Um, 
And then we have an adjustment measurable process uh, put in place, meaning we have some type of process, weekly operation review meeting, where we're reviewing our OKRs and we're finding out where, but we, we want to decouple these things so that we have an element of risk taking and we want to eliminate sandbagging. This is one of those things that creates um, some issues and problems and it requires some delicacy in terms of implementation, of course. Okay, so that's kind of our review from what we talked about prior on the other podcast where we talked about OKR. So let's get into John Doerr's five superpowers of OKRs. And I get excited about this. I love, I'm very interested in OKRs, probably more so than most people. Um, but that's okay. And so John Doerr talks about five superpowers and they are focus, alignment, commitment, tracking and of course stretch goals and and these are the things that give OKRs force and power within the organization so let's just talk a little bit about each of these in detail and kind of see how they work and why or why not might be the case first of all focus um, Dor John Dor talks about well we have a limited number of OKRs and so he talks about at the top level of the corporate organization, you have two to three, maybe four to five, and you need to have discipline and rigor in the process when you're setting these because people, they want to do everything under the, under the roof, and so there's an there's a urge to kind of do everything. This must be a focused, disciplined, rigorous process that you go through to narrow it down to what are the most important objectives at the corporate level for annual strategic goals at the tactical level where you have groups and departments setting their tactical OKRs you must be disciplined and have rigor to maintain your focus what are the most important things we have to do how do we set and allocate resources because the resources that are set and associated with um, each of these objectives requires some element of resource and budget. And we only have a finite number of elements, a number of budgets in any organization, so we have to focus where do we want to spend resources and money to, money to achieve what. As a chief of staff, if you're involved in leading or uh, deeply integrated in this process, one of the things you need to be doing along with your partner um, is making sure we have discipline and rigor in this process. We cannot get too spread out. We have to have focus. The focus comes from being narrowly focused around our objectives that tie us to our top level vision of the organization. Where are we headed? What are the things that we're doing? How do they support that? And why are they important? Those are the conversations that we want to have. So that's focus. Um, John Doerr talks about alignment. And of course, OKRs are one of the tools, the essential tools used to align and bind the organization together. So of course, that we're all working on the appropriate objectives that help us to move forward together in unison as a team to achieve our goals. And so when you have um, top-level annual strategic goals that are set by the uh, leadership team, 
And then the other teams that are supporting the leadership team within the organization are working on their tactical quarterly goals and they develop theirs to support the top level organizational annual OKRs. That's where the alignment comes in. They're also transparent. Everybody can see everybody else's OKRs in the organization. And when you're setting these, part of that process that you go through is to ensure that these things align, they support each other. If you see things that are being done that don't support the top level annual strategic OKRs, for example, um, your role as the chief of staff should be to step in and, and in the proper ways, make it known that they don't align and that we have to have some more work be done. So alignment is one of the key cornerstones of OKRs and what it does for an organization. We know how this flows. We set the vision. Where do we want to go as an organization? Where does that future desirable state look like? As we set our values, here's how we work together as a team. Here's what we value and this dictates our modes of conduct, our decision-making styles, our communication styles, the things that are important in terms of how things get done. Not the, the values that are blasted on the website. These are the real values of the organization, how work gets done. And how we get things done comes together when we're setting our objectives. What's, what do we value? What is our vision? What's important to us? How do we focus around key objectives that help us to move towards that vision? And then once we have our objectives, we set the measures and the key results. So this gets us back to the agenda of the CEO. We want to have alignment, focus associated with these things so we have rapid movement and we can all within the organization understand what needs to be prioritized and how resources need to be allocated to achieve our goals. All right, the next superpower of John Doerr after focus and alignment is commitment. And um, what John Doerr says is that transparent setting of these goals make sure that everybody can see them of course and once you do that you have commitment now that's what john Doerr says so basically he's saying because you have transparently set goals you will have commitment well that's not exactly true we know from the work of Locke and latham and others who are experts in goal setting psychology goal setting theory best practices that there's a couple of things that are important in um, developing um, high level of goal commitment within an organization. Just by the way, just because you set transparent goals doesn't mean you'll get commitment. You might get people having fear that if they don't reach the goals, something bad will happen to them. And that can result in sandbagging and that can result in cheating and fudging the numbers to try to hit them as well. So we don't want to have a, a fear-based organization um, certainly if you're trying to create high levels of psychological safety within an organization, a fear-based organization will not promote psychological safety, which we know helps to lead to more higher performing teams. What we do know from the experts Locke and Latham is that there are some characteristics that lead us to um, greater goal commitment. Um, first of all, you do want to have challenging goals. If they're not challenging, they won't motivate and get people committed. And they must be specific. What are we specifically doing and, and what does it mean? 
Furthermore, Locke and Latham talk about two other key factors in increasing goal commitment. That is the importance of the goal and the believability that we can achieve it. If people do, don't believe the goals are important, they'll be far less committed to them. And if they don't believe they can achieve them, they won't have the same level of commitment as well. So just setting transparent goals does not in and of itself increase goal commitment. What I know and what I like to talk about is why are these goals important? How do they help us move forward as an organization to achieve our vision where we're going? How does it help us prosper as an organization so that we're growing and we're creating opportunities for people in this organization? That's essential to creating the importance of the goal. Does the senior leadership team support these goals? Because if they don't, um, people won't believe they're important. And then achievability, and this is all about self-efficacy and building self-efficacy within individuals and within teams that are working on these objectives and we can do a whole host of different things to do that we can use case studies we can use modeling coaching we can bring in experts to talk about how other people have achieved similar goals within different organizations we can have education training mentoring and coaching what are the things that we have to do and invest in so we can achieve our goals we can't just set crazy moonshots and roof shots without having a way to achieve those goals. So the importance of the goal, achievability, self-efficacy are key cornerstones to increasing goal commitment. Transparency in and of itself will not do that. Um, and I'm sure John Doerr has many, many insights other than just saying this, but these things are key. Next, that John talks about tracking and you must have a system in place. In other organizations, what they've done to have success around this is have a weekly operational review meeting, at least a monthly operational review meeting, depending on your organization. And you have a mechanisms in place to assess where you're at in terms of your goal. Are you on target to reach goal? Are you off target? Do you need adjustments make? Then you get together as a team and you talk about how you're gonna make those adjustments so that you can get back on course. But you must have something in your process to measure and adjust. And then finally, the fifth superpower John talks about is stretch. And uh, he said some different things about this, so let's just read you what he says. First of all, he says, this is how you make moonshots by setting stretch goals. If you're aiming for Mars and you don't make it, you still make it to the moon. Um, John also has some other quotes where he said, well, yeah, they're aggressive but realistic goals. So what we know from the research on goal setting, again, is that goals must be challenging, they must be specific. Uh, Sitkin, C, and Miller have done a bunch of work on goal setting within different organizations and what they found out were very different things from what John Doerr would say. You don't just want to set stretch goals, especially if the whole idea is, well, yeah, if, if, you, if you're always making 100% of goal, you're not stretching. And then what some organizations do is they create stretch goals and the 100 becomes the new 70, right? So 70% is what people shoot for instead of 100. Or 70 becomes the new 100, rather. Sorry about that. Um, Sick and C and Miller say what the two most important factors in setting stretch goals 
or other types of goals are recent success and slack resources. And that if you've had recent success, which gives you confidence within the organization that you can achieve things, and if you have slack, abundant slack resources, that is when you shoot for stretch goals because you have more room for error. If you're making goals and you're having confidence and you have abundant slack resources, you have much greater opportunity to shoot for Mars and hit the moon, much like Google does, as, as John talks about. If, in fact, you have had no recent successes and you don't have slack resources, Sick and C and Miller talk about a series of small wins and dig yourself out of the hole. Um, if you don't have a lot of slack resources and you're lacking confidence in the organization, trying to achieve stretch goals um, will probably be folly. Um, because if you think about how we achieve these goals by getting the importance of the goal and the achievability, you have to assign resources to achieve goals. And that's where your budgeting comes in. You can't just miraculously shoot for Mars if you don't have the resources to do it, or if you don't have unique ways and innovative ways of working to do it. All right, so if you have recent success and no slack resources, Sick and C and Miller talk about shooting for small wins. Get a series of small wins, gain momentum, build more resources. And if you have slack resources and no recent success, you want to experiment. Experiment, you can take small losses because you've got abundant slack resources. You can experiment, innovate, find things that work, and then once you grasp onto something, take it away and move it faster because you've built some success. Then you can move into some stretch goals. So. The research on this is clear. It's not in total agreement with John Doerr. OKRs do not have to be stretch goals. If you're an organization that has abundant resources, slack resources, they've raised a bunch of capital, for example. You've got a bunch of recent successes, so you have confidence. That's when you want to be in the category of looking at stretch goals. Also, we have to clearly define what does stretch mean. Uh, and there's been work around that that's been done in it. But anyways, that's our review of John Doerr's five superpowers of OKRs. Um, he also talks about implementation as well. So just a couple of key points on this and that what John says, and this is totally rings true, if the leader of the organization does not fully support the implementation of OKRs, do not do it. Of course, if the leader doesn't support it, it signifies that it's not important. And if it's not important, you will not get commitment within the organization to do it. We know that again from the research of Locke and Latham. So the leader must be on board. If you're a bigger organization, run pilot programs before you ever roll it out, of course. Find out, test and learn. Um, John talks about in order to do this in implementation, it usually takes a couple of quarters to get it right, to find out, you know, every organization is a little bit different in terms of how you implement it based upon how they work. So do some experimentation, give yourself a couple of quarters before you figure it out, and that's okay. Um, one other thing John talks about is that you want to appoint what he calls an OKR shepherd. This is someone who kind of oversees the process. Now, I would guess that, especially in a smaller organization, 50, 100 people, 200 people, when you, if you're rolling this out, 
not a bigger organization, that the chief of staff would be that shepherd. And this person is responsible for educating the teams within the organization about how, OK, about how OKRs work, but tracking and grading process of the implementation and tweaking it. What, what's working, what's not, how do we fix this, right? And that makes sense for a chief of staff to do and, and to focus on making changes. And then new employees, when they come on board, they are trained and they understand what OKRs are, how they work, how the organization uses them. Um, so those are just some key highlights for that John talks about from implementation. In order to do a full scale implementation, of course, you, you really want to have a, a, a nice framework and a plan um, that works through this and takes care of education and, and the implementation in terms of piloting it, monitoring and adjusting for tweaks, all those kind of things, the importance of doing this and getting leadership support, all those things you want to do. So you want to take some time to really think through how you're going to do this when you roll it out. All right, so that's implementation and what John has to say about that. Um, there's a company called Better Works that John has invested in that actually implements OKR. So if you're a bigger organization and you want to have an implementation team help you to do this, Better Works is a company that you may want to look at. Um, I'm not giving an endorsement, just saying you might want to check them out. Okay, so that is back to OKRs, a review of John Doerr's five superpowers. And I think obviously John is a legend, has amazing things, he's done amazing things in his career. Um, he's a big advocate for OKRs, which is awesome stuff. Um, for the most part, he's got great ideas. There's a couple of areas, for example, in the stretching of the goals and commitment, where other research tells us we want to add other thinking and components to it, and that's okay. Um, what John has done in, in terms of leading and, and providing a pathway for OKRs, especially in the area of startups and new organizations, is nothing short of amazing. He has, he has a passion for it, which is awesome. So that is the overview and presentation on Back to OKRs, John Doerr's Five Superpowers. Hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed discussing it. And once again, I want to thank everybody for listening to uh, Parmenio, we really appreciate it, and thank you once again for listening to another episode of Parmenio. <laughs>